The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come up and help them. And they came and filled both the net boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. <clears throat> Come now, Holy Spirit. Come and overrule and overwhelm as we turn to the preaching of the word. The word of God. Holy Spirit, overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words so that what is said is in accordance with the word of God. And overrule and overwhelm our ears and our hearing so that what is heard is in accordance to the word of God for the good of God's people. Holy Spirit, come and in this act of worship, glorify God before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Just by uh, way of recap, let's remember together where we've been since the Sunday of Epiphany. On January 6th, the Sunday of Epiphany, we saw Jesus as a small child manifested, his glory revealed to the Gentiles, those magi, pagan worshipers and astrologers who'd come from afar. In the season following after Epiphany, the Epiphany of Jesus, uh, in January and in the February now, we've, we've seen Jesus at his baptism have his identity revealed. We took a little pause from Epiphany preaching on January 20th to talk about the Sanctity of Life on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. We came back into Epiphany preaching. We looked at Luke chapter 4, Jesus in the synagogue of Nazareth disclosing himself to be God's agent, specially anointed by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of preaching the gospel for the purpose of proclaiming and effecting freedom, and anointed by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing justice. Last week we saw Jesus then extend his messianic vocation, his, his mission, to all who would follow after him. And this week we come now to St. Luke's Gospel, where Jesus, going about the business of doing the, what he's been given to do, enlists individuals to come alongside him. 
Luke's story picks up in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, remember, he's in Nazareth, and he really makes people in the synagogue, his hometown, angry. They try to kill him. Luke tells us that he just passed through their midst and went away. He didn't just disappear into the netherworld or uh, some kind of underworld. He rather went down to Capernaum. He went into the Galilee, and St. Luke tells us that he went about doing what he said he was going to do. He went into synagogues and preached the good news, the gospel. He affected freedom. He brought justice. He was leading people to their true home as he cast out demons, as he healed the sick. The kingdom was proclaimed. Demons were cast out. The sick were healed er there in Galilee. And as his popularity is growing then, Jesus does something that I think is quite natural. It's not by accident. It's intentional, but it's something quite natural. As he has a mission to do, and he calls all who would follow after him to do the same mission, he enlists individuals to join him specifically on the road to do the work. So this morning in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I'd like for us to, as we take specific note of the context, and uh, as we will note how what he does here generally applies to all who follow after him, I, I think we really need to just stop for a moment and recognize that here in these 11 verses, the authority and the grace of Jesus changes everything for those who follow him. That really is sort of the big idea this morning for our sermon. The authority and grace of Jesus changes everything for those who follow him as he enlists them into his mission. Now this morning as we, as we preach together, as we think together, as we encounter God's word together, I have two hopes, two desires for this particular sermon. First, as we look at the authority and grace of Jesus, which changes everything, my hope and my desire is to encourage this congregation by showing you, again, Jesus' authority and grace. And encouraging this congregation by recognizing that Jesus' authority and grace isn't just for Simon or James or John. It isn't just bound up in the pages of Scripture. No, it is for you and for me. It is for us. The other side of this, my other desire in the preaching of the sermon is to then invite this congregation to find yourselves in this story, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and thus finding yourself in this story challenge you to prayerfully discern how God is enlisting you in Jesus' mission, either for the first time or as confirmation for continued action. So, the authority and grace of Jesus changes everything. You can't look at this passage and miss the authority and the grace of Jesus because it is everywhere, including the opening context. We just look together at the first few verses of Luke chapter 5. St. Luke records for us that on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus, they wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus then sat down and taught people from the boat. 
I think this exhibits both Jesus' authority and his grace. Nothing about this incident is random. Nothing about this event is random. Jesus doesn't just accidentally show up into, on the seashore. He'd gone into Galilee on purpose with the intention of proclaiming the kingdom of God, with the intention of bringing about freedom, with the intention of bringing about justice. And so it's not an accident that he's found there. He doesn't just accidentally show up on the seashore. He doesn't just accidentally draw a crowd of people to him. And he doesn't just pick a random boat. In this entirety, uh, this entire event, Jesus is the one who is in the lead Jesus is the one taking initiative, and the fact that he does so shows us his authority to do so, and it shows us his grace, the unmerited favor that he pours out. From beginning to end, Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. From beginning to end, Jesus is the one who takes the lead, and this is the way it always is with Jesus. He is the one who takes the lead as he calls men and women to follow him. What are the ways in which Jesus takes the lead? What are the ways in which Jesus takes the initiative as he encounters men and women? A primary way in the Gospels is that he enters into the context and the spaces of the people that he encounters. Notice the setting of this event. It's on the lake shore and on a boat. Like the vast majority of Jesus' public ministry, this event takes place where normal people live and sometimes not the nicest places. Another example would be Mark chapter 5. Jesus goes into a graveyard, and there he ministers to a man afflicted with many demons in the midst of a graveyard, right? Just before this passage in Luke chapter 5, Jesus uh, knew that Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and he went into the house. Uh, Another passage where there's a little girl who is dying, he goes to the house where the little girl lies dying. So the idea is that Jesus goes into the context, into the spaces where the people are found. And sometimes it's not the nicest places. And certainly, I don't mean any offense here, but I've been down on the docks when fishermen are cleaning their catches. And I, listen, I recognize that I'm a landlubber from Kansas, but the mix, the mix of diesel fumes and the smell of fish and then the smell of fish guts creates a particularly wonderful aroma. And where is Jesus? Right? Jesus is not in some far-removed place like saying, hey, fishermen, come see me. No, he's down there. They're cleaning their nets. Where would they be cleaning their catch had they had one? Right down there. And so Jesus enters into the smell. He enters into the mix. He goes down to where life is lived because the smell of normal life doesn't scare Jesus. It doesn't offend Jesus. And in the marvelous wonder of the incarnation, in his authority and in his grace, Jesus enters into where we are in the mess and in the mix as he takes the lead to save. And the authority and grace of Jesus changes everything. Jesus reveals his authority and his grace here in a couple of different ways. One is that sort of presence to the fishermen in, on the seashore, the presence to the fishermen in the boat, in their midst, in their in their mix, but also he reveals his authority by the way that he teaches and by his teaching itself. A little bit earlier in Luke's gospel, and it's also recorded in Matthew and Mark, it's, we're told that the crowds that came to Jesus that heard him teach were astonished at his teaching because he possessed authority. His word possessed authority. He spoke differently 
then the teachers and the crowds seem to have intuitively understood that there was, with Jesus, more than meets the eye. He's like Optimus Prime. There's more to him than what they can see, and they, they recognize this somehow. They recognize his authority. St. Luke tells us that in this particular episode, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, a phrase used by Luke in his gospel and in the book of Acts to refer to teaching that is based on revelation from the Father. Jesus teaches with authority. And notice another aspect of Jesus' authority. When, when he'd finished teaching, he's out there on the boat with Simon Peter. He tells Simon Peter to go fishing. How preposterous is this? What audacity is this? Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I say that's preposterous, and I say that's got a lot of audacity behind it, because let's remind ourselves of who Peter is. He was a fisherman. And fishing was, for Simon, not his weekend hobby. He didn't just kill time for fun. He didn't just go out and mess around with fishing. No, this was his livelihood. This is what he did to put food on the table. Peter knew the lake. He knew the Sea of Galilee. Peter knew where the fish would run. He knew where they fed. He knew that you fish in the Sea of Galilee, not during the day, but at night, because that's when the fish would feed. And here is Jesus, a carpenter by trade, now an itinerant rabbi. Yeah, he's popular, but he's from landlocked Nazareth. What would he possibly know about fishing? And yet notice Simon's response. On the one hand, he does respond to Jesus as a fisherman. He says, Master, we, failed all, we fished all night and we took nothing. If I can paraphrase this, he says, Jesus is called fishing, not catching. We tried, we failed. But Simon also responds to the authority of Jesus with faith. What does he say? But at your word, I will let down the nets. The authority and the grace of Jesus changes everything. Jesus reveals his authority over creation. He reveals something of his knowledge. Jesus provides a superabundance for Simon. Simon, the expert fisherman, could catch nothing the night before. Jesus, he says, go throw down your nets. And what happens? They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What an amazing thing. Where did these fish come from? Did Jesus know where the fish were hiding? Did Jesus summon existing fish to enter into these nets? Did he make some sort of uh, connection with the fish, like some sort of ancient world Aquaman? Did Jesus create the fish that were then captured? We don't know. What we see is Jesus had authority to fill the nets, and he had the grace to do so. And this changes everything. It is the catch itself that is the climax of the story. In the catch, he reveals both his authority and his grace, authority over creation, authority over Simon, and his grace. He exhibits that he's greater than Simon because he has come to Simon Peter at the height of Simon's personal strength, in the place of his pride and his position as a fisherman, and Jesus has superseded Simon on his home field. Superseded Simon. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Much like Tom Brady and the Patriots going into Kansas City and defeating the Chiefs on their home field to earn the right to play for their sixth Super Bowl championship, which they then secured 
on a neutral field a week later, Jesus reveals over Simon on Simon's home turf that he's greater than, that he has authority, and that he's gracious, that he's kind. He reveals his sovereign holiness. And Simon responds in a way that, quite frankly, seems odd to me. Maybe because I've never encountered a, a, a net full of fish that begins to sink two boats. But Simon responds to Jesus, his authority and his grace, by falling on his face, by falling at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The authority and the grace change everything, right? The authority and grace of Jesus. And when Simon falls at Peter's, when Simon Peter falls at Jesus' knees, we have something of a sequel to our passage from Isaiah chapter 6 today. Confronted with seeing the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, hearing the worship of angels as they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah dropped to his knees in total and complete recognition of himself, of who he is. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As odd as it may sound to our ears and our hearing, Simon Peter had an Isaiah experience on his boat. And the glory and the power and the majesty that Isaiah saw as the Lord was seated upon a throne, Peter saw in the carpenter from Nazareth standing on his boat. Jesus has done something, and Peter responds. Simon sees in Jesus the authority of the sovereign over all creation, and he sees in Jesus the grace that is being poured out upon him, and he falls on his face. Jesus has done something that was vital to the messianic hope of Israel. He'd done a mighty work in the midst of creation. There was an expectation that when Israel's God came and the Messiah to be the king, that he would do mighty works, that he would restore creation, that Yahweh would display power over the natural order just as he had done in the past. One scholar asserts that the extraordinary catch of fish, the stilling of storms, the desert feedings, must all be included with this expectation of exercise over creation. And so as odd as it may sound to our ears and our hearing, Simon Peter saw this miraculous catch of fish the revelation of Yahweh's new intrusion into his creation, and he saw it all in Jesus, who stood on his boat. And like Isaiah, in the presence of the holy, the other than, the separate, in the presence of such authority and sovereignty, Simon Peter is undone. Simon, like Isaiah, like all who truly encounter Jesus, in this moment, for this instant, knows himself truly. The very presence of the Holy One cuts through the clouds of self-deception and self-justification, and Simon knows he is indeed a sinful man. He recognizes that he is in the presence of holiness, and he falls on his face. He knows he's unworthy to be in the presence of such holiness and asks, Isaiah said, I'm going to die. Simon Peter says, please go away. He asks for the Holy One to go away. He recognizes the authority and the grace, and he receives grace from Jesus. Here's the thing, right? Simon is absolutely correct. 
he is unworthy. In his moment of clarity, in his moment of absolute recognition of himself and of Jesus, Simon Peter is absolutely right. He is not worthy to have Jesus standing on his boat. But, and yet, Isaiah, after his fear and confession in Isaiah chapter 6, after his own moment of clarity, he received the grace of God. An angel, Isaiah tells us, flew with a burning coal to him and touched his mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Jesus extends grace. Jesus extends an unearned gift, unmerited favor. He extends this to Simon as he dispels Simon's fear, as he extends hospitality and welcomes him in to join in his mission. Jesus, in a very real sense, says, you're right, you are a sinner. Now get up, there's work to be done. The authority and grace of Jesus Christ change everything. In no way, in no way does Jesus ignore sin, neither does Jesus accept, endorse, or even tolerate sin. What Jesus does is to take the sinner, and in his authority and grace, he forgives the sinner and then transforms the sinner. And in his authority and grace, Jesus then enlists the sinner into his own mission of gospel, freedom, and justice. Simon, having received gospel, freedom to return to his true home, justice being made whole, is now included in the mission itself. As he enlists Simon Peter, as he enlists James and John to do exactly what he has been doing and what he was called to do. On the boat, Jesus was fishing. Jesus was catching. Jesus had entered into the mix and the mess, and he had cast a net, and then Jesus in the boat with the men, he caught them. And then he calls, Jesus calls those who follow him to do what he does, to enter into the lives of men and women with the gospel, proclaiming freedom, the way to our true home, and justice, wholeness before God. We see in both Isaiah and Simon Peter these specific men enlisted for a specific purpose. Isaiah responds to the Lord's question of who will go with, here I am, send me. Simon receives from Jesus' mouth the call and the commission, from now on you will be catching men. Here in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Simon, James, and John, they experience the life-changing authority and grace of Jesus. And this comes to a close, this passage, with these words. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus' authority and grace changes everything, and it demands and expects radical obedience. Gospel comes first, and then comes commissioning. Jesus' grace and authority changes everything. Folks, Jesus is still at work, and he still enters into the mess and the mix of our lives. Jesus is still the one who takes the lead to reveal himself. Jesus is still the one who takes the lead to show us our true selves. Jesus is still the one who offers forgiveness of sins, and then after the gospel, Jesus is still the one who commissions. Jesus is still in the business of showing his authority and giving his grace that changes everything. What Jesus did then in Luke chapter 5, he does today. 
Jesus calls those who follow him to do what he does, to enter into the lives of men and women with the gospel, with freedom, and with justice. The authority and grace of Jesus still change everything. There's no single aspect of life that is untouched by the Lord Jesus Christ. And while the focus of this episode from Luke chapter 5 is upon Simon Peter and a bit wider by extension upon James and John, we must recognize that Jesus' call to these three men is the same call to all who would follow after him to join in his mission. But what does it mean? What does it look like? These men were told left everything and followed him. Does this mean that we must leave everything behind? Does this mean that we must sever relationships with spouses and children? Does this mean that we must all become itinerant evangelists wandering the earth? Does this mean we leave behind our jobs, our homes, and our families? We have to recognize two truths about the call of Jesus. His authority and his grace do change everything. But let's recognize two things this morning. Every single one of Jesus' hearers were called to find life in him and in his kingdom and then to join in his kingdom work, and that has not changed. But what that looks like within Scripture seems to have been different for different people in different places. Simon and John and James left everything and followed after Jesus. And so Jesus called 12 to leave home and follow him on the road, but he was also, in the Gospels, content for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to be his people in place. Jesus at one point tells a rich young man who's obsessed with his wealth, sell everything and follow me on the road. But he also tells a leper that he is healed to go on his way. And so it's true for men and women like Simon and James and John, for men and women like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Hudson Taylor, or Amy Carmichael, the call of Jesus means they go to distant lands. But for a group of Christian women living in the Netherlands, the call of Jesus means that they create a sewing circle to love their Muslim neighbors in the name of Jesus. Not all who follow Jesus are called into vocational ministry, but all who follow Jesus are called into ministry within their vocations. For some among us, following Jesus does and will mean leaving what is familiar. For others among us, following Jesus will mean working with a Christian ethic within their vocation for the purpose of long-term witness among their employees and coworkers. In this case, the authority and grace of Jesus, in either case, the authority and grace of Jesus changes everything as he saves us and enlists us on his mission. It's true that responding to Jesus with faith may not result in leaving an occupation. It may mean a loss of family and friends. It may mean a change in business practices. It will mean a change in lifestyle. And it most certainly means a loss of personal control. But let's not move too quickly beyond recognizing that, yes, it's true, Jesus' call takes different shape for different people, all within this purpose of mission, but let's not move too quickly beyond the statement of God's word, they left everything and followed him. Let's allow the weight of that phrase to rest upon our hearts. Because I think there is a real challenge here for those who already believe in Jesus and for those who do not yet believe in Jesus. They left everything. Why? Because the authority and grace of Jesus changes everything. There is a real cost to following after Jesus. 
not a popular word in, in our modern American culture to think about what it may cost us to follow after Jesus. No, far too often we're more concerned about what we're going to get from following Jesus. But Jesus in the Gospels, he puts it this way, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Before it was a fashion accessory, the cross was an instrument of execution. To bear the cross meant to die. Again, a little bit later in Luke, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? The authority and grace of Jesus changes everything. And we have to know that going in. And so I think the real challenge for us in this passage, in this scripture, in this truth, isn't the idea that we're called in different ways, in different places to be about the mission of gospel, freedom, and justice. I think the real issue for us is to sit with the weight of they left everything and followed him. We have to linger there. What's reflected in the truth, in that statement, is the truth that Christ demands our all. The authority and grace change everything so that we give him everything. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. The authority and grace of Jesus changes everything, and yet this is precisely where many believers began to waffle. We say to ourselves, Jesus can't really want me to give up this thing. Or we say to ourselves, Jesus can't really want me to take on this ministry. Or we say, Jesus can't really want me to love the unlovable, to care for the marginalized, or proclaim the gospel. Jesus doesn't really want me to offer prayers. That waffling is reflected in Don Carson's perceptive statement, some Christians want enough of Christ to be identified with him, but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced. That should sting just a little. Because the truth is, Jesus, yes, he really does want you to give up that thing. If it's sinful, if it's wasteful, if it's breaking you, if it's entrapping you, if it's enslaving you, yes, Jesus wants you to die to it. In another passage, he says, cut off your hand if it makes you sin. Yes, Jesus really does want you to take on this particular ministry to which you're called and equipped and prepared. Yes, Jesus really does want his church to love the unlovable, to care for the marginalized, to proclaim the gospel, to offer prayers. That's the challenge of this passage, the authority and the grace of Jesus Christ change everything. And knowing that, knowing what Jesus is calling us to do, we cannot too quickly dismiss the little phrase, they left everything and followed him. Jesus' authority and grace change everything. Jesus is still at work to come into the mix and into the mess of our lives to change us. Jesus is still the one who takes the initiative, who reveals himself and shows us our true selves and his authority and his grace, which changes everything. Jesus is still the one who offers forgiveness of sins. And then after the good news of the gospel, Jesus is still in the business of giving his people work to do. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus' grace and authority change everything for Simon and James and John. 
his authority and grace still do. And so the question is this morning, how is Jesus calling you? Where is Jesus calling you? How is he enlisting you into his mission of gospel, freedom, and justice? In this sermon, I've sought to encourage this congregation by showing Jesus life-changing, everything-changing authority and grace. And I've sought to invite the congregation to find yourselves in this story and thus be challenged to prayerfully discern how he's enlisting you in his mission, either for the first time or in confirmation of continued action. Perhaps this morning you have business to do with Jesus submitting and surrendering. Perhaps this morning it's time to go from master to Lord. Perhaps this morning it's time to hear his call, to believe for the first time, to entrust yourself for the first time, to commit yourself to action and ministry for the first time. Perhaps it's time to be refreshed in his authority and grace. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.